few things. One is, uh, you know, I, I don't want to read like some long email, like keep it brief. And uh, unless it's like, if it's very thoughtful that, and you know, sincere, it can be, you know, pretty long and still be like very meaningful and great cold email. But in general, sort of you want high thoughtfulness, high sincerity, high personal. So hi everyone, today we're joined by a phenomenal guest, Jake from Blog of Jake, who is an upcoming podcaster. He's hosted some legends on his show like Mark Cuban and so many more amazing, amazing people. So hi, Jake. So could you first share, like, let's dive into your fitness, your exercise and your content diet or just your diet in general. Like, what are some of those key things that you're focusing on in these areas of your life? Hi, thank you, Ruhi, for having me. I appreciate it, and it's great to be with you. I um, I've been thinking a lot about fitness lately, and uh, sort of been on a progressive journey over the last several years, sort of pulling different levers and just getting in a little bit better shape. And uh, sort of, I grew up. I wasn't, uh, you know, all through college even. I, I was never very health oriented or health conscious. Um, and sort of what made me prioritize it a little bit more was realizing that it's not just, um, you know, necessarily like trying to live. A long time, all that—that's obviously a part of it. Uh, but I always thought, like you know, you, you never know exactly like how you're gonna go, and so uh, spending all this time trying to be healthy, and you know, maybe something comes up and sort of compromises that that you couldn't have prevented anyway, seemed sort of like a waste of time. But I at some point realized that you know it actually makes the day to day quite a bit better, and I sort of feel better when I exercise, uh, when I eat well, and just sort of take care of myself and, and things like that. Um, the counter argument that I still actually keep in mind is that there's quite a lot of uh, sort of satisfaction in um, exercising like you go for a run you feel great after um, this doesn't apply as much on the diet front but go for a run you feel great after you go for a walk it's very enjoyable you lift you feel like you sort of got something done and so that sort of like satisfies some of the satisfaction quota for the day and uh, one thing I've always sort of wondered is like well what does that pull away from like if I'm trying to get sort of satisfaction for my work like I want to do great work um, could working out sort of like fill the satisfaction bucket a little bit so that it's actually I have like a little bit less motivation, a little bit less drive to like sort of do these other things I want to do. So that's sort of something I've kept in mind as well. But in terms of my uh, my own fitness sort of habits, I, uh, you know, a few years ago or maybe five years ago, I started intermittent fasting. That was really sort of like my first entry into uh, sort of doing something healthy. And then uh, gradually over time, started eating better as well. And I uh, got into running a few years ago, ended up running, you know, doing a lot of distance running and not really worrying about speed, but just trying to stretch longer and longer runs and ultimately ran a marathon and have sort of, you know, you sort of go from someone who doesn't work out to becoming sort of someone who identifies as a runner. And, you know, once you sort of have something as a part of your identity, it's pretty easy to keep going. So I run now just sort of for fun once in a while, not really on like any particular schedule or anything like that. But do a lot of running and a lot, a lot of walking as well. And I uh, got into lifting probably about a year ago. So I've been doing a lot of lifting and, and sort of uh, experimenting with a bunch of different diets. But most recently, um, very like protein heavy diet, a lot of meat, uh, protein shakes. And like I said, sort of eating, um, you know, within kind of like an eight hour window every day from like roughly around noon to 8pm and usually a tighter window than that. I, I really like intermittent fasting. It's just like, I enjoy exercising more when I'm not eating when I'm not eating or not full and uh and for work as well I find I, I can uh, sort of focus a lot better in a uh, fasted state so that's sort of like the basics and I could jump into any one of those if, if you'd like but um that's sort of 
peek into my fitness journey. Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate your dedication to fitness now and like how you were like, I have a similar kind of journey as well, like not really being very health oriented and conscious to now doing a little bit more exercise in my life. So you touched on like something about great work. So I wanted to know, in your opinion, how do you do great work? Like what what's the definition of like great work in your opinion? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think, um, I don't know, it's, it's something where you sort of know it when you see it. It's definitely a, a result of, uh, a, of a couple of different variables. One of them would be sort of the effort that you put in. Like you're never going to do great work with low effort. Um, and then secondarily, I think it has to be something that you really love to do. Uh, you know, Steve Jobs has this quote where, which I really like, it's like uh, the only way to do, you know, he's like, you got to find what you love to do early um the only way to do great work is to sort of find what you love or, or something like that and um you know he's talking about how he sort of stumbled upon the computer quite early and how he was quite lucky and uh i think basically you know it, it was an interesting quote to me because people talk about you know following your passions and things like that and it makes sense and you know i think sometimes that could sort of lead people in you know wrong directions taken sort of too literally like if you're if you think you're sort of like passionate about like playing world of warcraft or whatever you know sitting at your computer playing world of warcraft all day like maybe not the best way to spend your life or maybe it is i, I don't know but uh you know following your passion purely i'm not sure if that's like necessarily right but definitely sort of seeking um to do things that you love and sort of find this match between things that you love and things that sort of the world values and maybe it won't be apparent from up front that that actually is something the world values and you can sort of trust and experiment and do these things that are interesting to you and ultimately stumble upon something that both is you know something that you really love to do or at least the vast majority of sort of the work required within that thing is something that you love to do um and it's also something that's sort of like valuable for the world so you can sort of make a sustainable life doing that thing um and i think so some combination of caring about what it is that you're doing and, and sort of enjoying that thing and feeling that you're sort of, you know, exceptional at that thing versus other people. And then just putting in the effort um, to do great work. There's, you know, another quote, like sort of how you do anything is how you do everything. And I, I sort of I go back and forth on this because I think some things it's sort of like uh, I wrote a blog post once on sort of like a waste of time to parallel or to like go into a parking spot perfectly, because then you sort of have to like pull into the spot and back out because it's not like not perfect and then sort of like make sure you're like in between the lines and like perfectly parallel and it's like you know there's no reason to like spend your time in life you know readjusting the car to get the perfect spot like if you're in the spot that's all that counts and and that's enough but i do think there is something to be said for like trying to park as good as well as you can on like the the original pull-in like it's not worth going out and in but to try to park well like you do the little things right in life um without sort of doing them over and over again ad nauseum or whatever but you try to do things right on the first try or whatever i think that's generally worthwhile and so when it comes to my work you know you also find that if you put in a really strong effort and you sort of leave it all on the field as they say and sort of do your best um it almost doesn't really even matter what the output of that work product is you you feel good having done it and um you know whether it resonates with the world or whatever is, is another story but um i find there's sort of a lot of joy and in doing what you feel is great work, whether or not the world appreciates it as such. 
I think some of the key themes that stood out for me were joy and doing your best and just loving what you do and finding that intersection between what you do and what the world values as kind of some things to keep in mind when you're trying to create some of your greatest works. So my next question is more along the lines of you had a ton of really interesting blogs and habit of walking and meditation were the topics that stood out for me. So how did walking, exercise, meditation really help you to calm down or like how did it help you in your life like to implement such things into your life? Yeah, um I'll I'll talk about meditation and walking. I'll start with meditation because I probably don't have quite as much to say about it. The the short version is like, you know, I actually don't meditate regularly or, um, you know, it's something I've tried at times in the past in sort of different ways. You know, you kind of sit down for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever and and close your eyes and, you know, pay attention to your breath and let some, let let, like thoughts come in and go and, and sort of just sort of observe them and not, you know, watch emotions come and go and things like that. Um, and yeah, so I, I've tried, um, you know, meditating a few different times and it just sort of, uh, it, it never really, like, I, I find it useful to meditate when, um, you know, if it's a particularly stressful time or a particularly tough time or something like that, I just feel like I'm moving a million miles per hour and just kind of need to sit and breathe. Then once in a while, I'll do that and just kind of sit and breathe. But um, for the most part, I find much more value in sort of like uh, tangential to meditation activities, like walking would be one, you know, playing a sport would be another, like, I don't do this really, but playing an instrument could be another, like anything that you sort of would associate with like sort of a flow state. Um, I find those to be like quite meditative experiences where you come out of them, and you were just sort of like in the moment for a substantial period of time and you there's something very like energizing and refreshing about that and uh so walking for me it's like it can be very meditative regardless of sort of what i'm doing while i'm walking sometimes i'll walk just to walk uh, other times i'll walk and call someone you know family or friends or whatever it might be uh all of that can be sort of like meditative i would say uh maybe some people would sort of argue with that definition but they're just like very enjoyable sort of flow state activities for me. Another one I'll do that's, you know, less meditative, I would say, but interesting and, and useful for me is I'll go and I'll sort of do a, a walking dictation where I have an app that, you know, will record what I'm saying and, uh, and, you know, create a transcript of what I've said. And so I can go out for a walk and sort of do like a brainstorm type of thing. Um, and that's a pretty valuable and somewhat unusual activity, I think that I really enjoy. And then lastly, uh, you know, when I'm recording these podcasts myself, I uh, I like to listen to, you know, my podcast guests as guests on other podcasts before, you know, as part of my preparation process. And so go for a walk and listen to a podcast, whether it's prepping for an upcoming guest or just listening to one, you know, for fun. Um, so lots of things I like to do walking. And, you know, between all those things, it sort of ends up that I'm kind of walking, you know, for usually like an hour plus per day, uh, which is, you know, maybe a, a little unusual, like kind of a lot, but uh, some days, you know, I'll even walk for a few hours and I just sort of pair it with these audio based activities and the time just flies. And it's almost like um, sort of, I, I kind of have like a default state of walking, especially for calls. Like if I, if I have a call coming up, I will default to going for a walk. And if for some reason I can't, or, you know, I need to do a screen share or something like that, then I'll stay at my desk, but um, 
if I can walk, I will walk. And I think there's something interesting about sort of defaulting to walking or defaulting to standing and not just spending so much time in our desk chairs, um, which seems like sort of an unnatural way to live. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, I love walking and it's just uh, for so many reasons. So th- those are some of the things I guess I do while walking that make it so easy to walk so much. That's really great that you love walking so much and you shared a bit about podcasting and I know you host your own podcast called Pod of Jake. So how exactly did that podcast start? Like, did you know that you wanted to do a podcast? Like, who were your influences when you started podcasting and like, who did you look up to in the space and how did you invite your first guest and get them to say yes? Like, what could you share for the audience today on any of those points? Yeah, I um I started being interested in doing a podcast really before I was a big listener to podcasts. Um I think by the time I actually did it, I'd been listening to them for a few months. Um but haven't really been listening to podcasts for that long. Sort of started in like maybe late 2019, early 2020 and started my podcast in mid to yeah, I think mid 2020, maybe summer 2020. Um and I had for a long time always been interested in sort of like reaching out to people that were interesting to me. It wasn't to come on my podcast, obviously, I, I didn't have one, but it was, uh, you know, to ask a question by email or see if I could ask some questions by phone. And generally had some like pretty good luck with, um, you know, pretty good ability to sort of get people who you wouldn't expect to respond to respond. Um, and then, so that's sort of how the podcast started at some point. Like I, I sort of had an idea that podcast could be interesting. Um, and I was really into, you know, still I'm very interested in, in, uh, longevity and the idea that, uh, you know, people use longevity in a few different contexts these days, but in particular, like sort of radical life extension and an extension of health span where you could live, you know, beyond 120 or maybe even 130 or 150 or beyond. And, uh, not just like in some old decrepit state, but sort of be 110 years old in the same shape as like people are today when they're, you know, 40. Um, And sort of the only way to achieve that would be to sort of attack aging directly and slow or potentially reverse sort of the process of aging in humans. Uh, And so two of the sort of leaders in that space, uh, or, you know, one was kind of a pioneer and one's more of like a contemporary leader is uh, Aubrey de Grey and, and David Sinclair. And uh, so I sort of like re- I'd read both of their books recently and just kind of like reached out to uh, to reach out and, and to, you know, I basically in these emails, I, I invited them on my podcast. And at the time, you know, I didn't have a podcast and I wasn't like, you know, I, I didn't make it to be otherwise. But I just said, like, hey, if you'd love to, you know, I'd love to have you on this uh, you know podcast that I'm thinking of doing for a conversation. And I figured if they responded, yes, then uh, then I would do it. And so. Uh, David, uh, I think he got back to me, but I actually haven't been lucky enough to get him on the podcast yet, but, uh, Aubrey responded and he was totally down. So, uh, I said, okay, well, I guess I got a podcast now. And, uh, I didn't have like, you know, any of the, I didn't have like a pro microphone or any really setup or any, I, I didn't really think it through too much. It was just like, if I get a great guest, then I'll figure it out. And, uh, so I did, and I actually ended up recording that episode with just like my AirPods and it was, you know, audio quality could have been better, but it was fine. And I did a ton of preparation and I thought the conversation went really well. And then, you know, by the time it got to episode two, I had my microphone and my headphones and sort of, you know, built a lot upon episode one and 
you just sort of get better and better as you go and sort of add things to your infrastructure and your process and whatever. Um, but you know, that's sort of a key part of anything for me is like start the hardest part is starting. So, you know, you can overthink anything, but if you want to do something, just like sort of do the first thing. And, uh, once you start, you just go from there, but that's the hardest part. I think there are a ton of key lessons for the audience. For example, the hardest part is starting and your for me personally, like the turning point for my podcast was when I got John Lee Dumas on it. So he was like the first big guest per se that gave me a shot. And then since then, I've hosted like some other amazing and phenomenal upcoming founders, VCs, and so many more different, different people. And so now I wanted to get into and touch into like cold emailing. So I actually, I discovered you because you had made a comment under Harry Stebbing's post and you said that something about cold emailing and like how it's helped you like get 90% of your guests come from cold emailing and so like my question to you is like so um so you invited Mark Cuban onto your podcast so like if you could just break it down like how would you structure a cold email and a follow-up email as a podcast host like what could you share for the audience today that they could start implementing and executing right away uh, yeah, I mean, well, so first of all, you know, thanks for uh, cold emailing me as a result of that. Obviously, uh, that's how we're here now. And uh, I think cold emailing is just a uh, super effective and uh, still, you know, obviously a lot of people appreciate the value of it, but it's just very underrated that, um, you know, I'll go back to like I mentioned Steve Jobs earlier. There's a story of how he sort of reached out to uh, Bill Hewlett he, of Hewlett Packard. He found his name in the phone book and called him to see if he could sort of get some spare parts and ended up getting an internship. And who knows, that whole thing sort of might have led to him, you know, starting Apple, maybe had he not sort of made that phone call, or if Phil hadn't picked up, maybe Steve would have gone in a different direction. So that, that you never know, it's like sort of the butterfly effect of, of how things work. But I think just like the the ability to reach out to anyone in the world who you want to reach out to is super underrated. And, um, you know, we don't have phone books anymore, or at least they're not that useful. But um, we do have, you know, pretty much everyone has at least one email. And uh, in the case, you know, it's the case for most people that you can kind of find it and maybe not for like super celebrities or whatever. But for most people in the business world or tech world, um, people have emails and, and you can kind of, it's not so hard to find them. Um, so I sort of started cold emailing, um, like I said, just to interesting people that I wanted to reach out to. I've sort of been doing that for a long time. But um, especially when, you know, I started my career in investment banking and in order to get into that industry, uh, it's sort of like, no, and you, you kind of have to like sort of work your way in and like reach out to people cold and, you know, meet associates and whatnot. And so sort of like the worst version of, of cold emailing, but it was, uh, you know, good practice and uh, basically doing that and learning how to, especially that helped me like sort of learning how to find anyone's email that I wanted to, even if it wasn't like sort of publicly advertised and whatnot. And, um, and so I sort of, uh, you know, I, I got into cold emailing from that. And then also being on the receiving side of cold emails, once I was in banking, I sort of learned, um, you know, okay, this is what it's like to be on the receiving side, all these people, you know, trying to find internships, reaching out to me as, as an analyst. And I realized like, you know, a few things. One is, uh, you know, I, I don't want to read like some long email, like, keep it brief. And uh, unless it's like, if it's very thoughtful and sincere, it can be, you know, pretty long and still be like very meaningful and great cold email. But in general, sort of you want 
high thoughtfulness, high sincerity, high personalization, but brief. Um, and if you sort of combine those two things, I think it can work quite well. Um, like people just don't have time to like read long templated emails that aren't very personalized. Like it's just a waste of time uh, and you just don't want to get it. And then the other thing I sort of realized was, um, you know, it, it doesn't really even depend, like it's not fully based on the quality of the email as to whether I'm going to respond or not. It's, um, you know, how busy am I? What time of day is it? What kind of mood am I in? Things like that. And so I might get a six out of 10 quality email at one time and respond to it, but get an eight out of 10 quality email at another time and not respond to it. Um, and obviously, you know, the eight out of 10 person like did a better email, but I just didn't respond because of circumstances on my end. So one thing I learned was like, sort of, you know, don't be offended by people who don't respond and don't be afraid to try again. Um, and, you know, follow up. And I always try to do that sort of respectfully. I'm not like setting timers to follow up with this person every week or something like that. But, uh, you know, next time I remember them, I'm like, oh, hey, that person would be a great podcast guest. And uh, I don't think I've reached out to them in a while. Like, let me try them again. And just sending like sort of a, uh, you know, a polite nudge and maybe doing something a little bit additive to, you know, if they were considering responding the first time, but they didn't, maybe put a little something in the next email to sort of get them over the edge. But um, in general, I think brevity and thoughtfulness and personalization go a long way. And realizing that you know you can put together the perfect email and if it hits someone at a bad time they're probably not going to respond but in general i just think again you know sending a lot of cold emails uh is sort of how i've gotten my podcast guests and uh it's just an awesome way to be able to you know if you find someone and you're genuinely interested in them and you sort of can demonstrate that in a brief and efficient way um people you know you'll be surprised who can respond Same for me. I think cold emailing has been game changer and I've been like implementing these frameworks that have been shared by KP, who's like a building in public legend on X. He's his name is Kartik Puvada, but he's done doing some phenomenal work with his podcast as well. And so I learned about the great ask and shooting a shot from him. And so I've been implementing that as well. But yeah, so my next question is so you this is just to round it up. So you invited Mark Cuban on your podcast. So what did you learn from interviewing all these amazing people over the years? And like, what could you share? Like, what's your advice for somebody who wants to reach out to somebody like Mark Cuban or like any of these like big shots? Like how, how does one reach out to them? Yeah, I mean, in terms of reaching out, it's no different than anything I just said. Um, it's, you know, everyone's just a person, right? And so the same principles I would say would apply, you know, maybe Mark is incrementally busier than, you know, someone else that you might reach out to, but maybe not. Um, so I was actually astounded. He responded like super quickly. And um, my email to him was super simple. Another thing I guess I didn't mention in terms of brevity and specifics on that is that uh, I used to sort of constrain myself to, uh, I wasn't like religious about this, but generally I sort of constrained myself to like a tweet uh, size character limit and that was you know before they expanded to like 280 characters i think it was like 140 um so that's quite limiting and you really you know every word every character counts and uh, i think my email to mark probably would have qualified uh sort of within that character count constraint um but in terms of what i've learned from the podcast um i think you know a bunch of things sort of specific to each guest and everything like that but the overall one of the overall things i've sort of realized is 
um, just from talking to all these people is sort of one kind of what I just said, like everyone is, is just kind of like a person, like we're all sort of, uh, you know, no matter how sort of like famous someone is or successful they are, like they're still just people at the end of the day. And we all sort of have a lot more common than you might like sort of assume, like you sort of put your, your heroes on a pedestal, but, um, you know, they're, and I'm not saying this in a bad way or anything, but they're people, um, and you know, they have families and things that they care about and fears and worries and things that they're proud of and problems and, you know, all these sorts of things. And, uh, sort of further along those lines, I realized that, um, people are a lot, people are a lot more reasonable than, uh, I think most people think um, sort of the internet highlights the extreme views that people have. And there's very little context, you know, on Twitter, but also elsewhere with articles and headlines, everything is kind of uh, pulling very small pieces out of a person and, and highlighting those pieces and sort of blasting them out to the world. And so you get the impression that people are like fairly extreme and their views and their attitudes and the language they use and things like this. But um, when you get in sort of a long form conversation with someone, usually you can find more common ground than you would expect. And I don't have like, you know, these crazy views or, or anything like that, really. But I've enjoyed being able to talk with people who sort of might come off, for example, on, on Twitter as like, being very opinionated in a certain direction, maybe like sort of unreasonably so. And speaking with them and sort of realizing like, hey, you know, here's these two people I've spoken with who sort of are on like direct opposite sides of this particular issue. And I find them both to be like a total pleasure to speak with. And I find them to be like very reasonable. And um, this is just something that I think is like quite encouraging because you can sort of it's tempting to like get online and like instantly judge people by the first tweet that you see from them or whatever it is, or even their whole feed of tweets. It's like sort of a misrepresentation of who they are. That's just like one very narrow sort of piece of them um and you know that that's basically like their twitter persona or whatever um but you get in a longer form conversation and i just find people to be generally reasonable generally kind everyone's been you know very kind and, and generous with their time coming on and joining me in the podcast in the first place so um it's it sort of lent me to have a more optimistic view uh more positive view on humanity than than before I started the podcast, not that it was very negative or anything like that, but it, it's just been very encouraging. Um, so that's been probably one of the more uh, sort of fundamental takeaways. I think I quite liked your takeaway of the tweet sized character limit and that everyone is just a person, they're just a human, and they're more than the context, out of context things that people post on the internet. So it was an absolute pleasure and an honor to host you on the podcast today and do share how the audience can get in touch with you and also how they can like find out more about your podcast or like what's happening blog of Jake, like what do you want to promote? Like now's your stage. Yeah, sure. Thank you. It was great uh, talking with you and I appreciate the invite. Um, I think for people who want to follow along, I'm at zero f jake at twitter that's the number zero the letter f and then jake uh and you can listen to my podcast it's pod of jake pod space uh of space j-a-k-e and uh yeah my website's everything's kind of interconnected from there but uh you could go to home of jake.com or blog of jake.com or pod of jake.com and anything that has of jake it's probably me so 
Um, appreciate anyone who wants to go and, and dig in. And thanks again, Ruhi, for uh, having me on. Amazing. And I'm just... So if you're listening to this podcast right now, I have an open opportunity to reach this audience. So if you want to reach college students and freshers interested in startups and venture capital, and just in terms of the demographics, the age of 18 to 22 is the highest age demographic in India and US are the two largest country demographics of listeners for this podcast. Email me at bispodruhi at gmail.com. So thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode and hope you've learned something new.